Well, good morning, everyone. I am excited about our fellowship tonight. We're going to have a singing devotional at 5 p.m. And then after that, we're going to have a chili cook-off. And so I've already heard from a handful of you who have prepared your best chili. You have Some of you probably have bought the biggest can on the shelf you could find and have... Uh, I'm going to heat that up today. But here's what I need. I need three people who would love to be a chili judge. Mike, you're one. If you'll, I will not remember. See me after service is what I'm going to say. So I need three. I need two more people now. I got one. So if you will see me, Larry, remind me after services. And uh, you can be a chilly judge for tonight. So I hope you'll make your plans to come. We're going to have an hour of good singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, speaking to one another in our hearts. We lift up our voices to God, and then we're going to sit down at the table and wish we had more elastic. So it's going to be a good evening. I hope you'll plan to be here. So there was a man who decided to join a monastic order to, to join a monastery. Now, you probably don't wake up in the morning, you know, and just decide this is something you're going to do for the day. But he did. And so he went and he joined. And it was one of the strictest sects that he could be a part of. And so there, the thing was, is you could only speak two words every five years. And so he began his term there. And so um, you know, at, at the, his first five years... He comes back and he goes into the abbot. He walks up to him and he says, bed hard. Okay, so the clock resets and he goes about his business five more years and he comes back in and he says, soup cold. So five more years goes by and he comes back in for the third time and he says, I quit. And the abbot says, well, you might as well. All you've done is complain since you've been here. Now, I have preached against gossip, and I have reminded us how the Scriptures talk about gossip has no place in the kingdom of God, but today I am going to gossip. I'm going to gossip today because I'm going to talk about people who are not here with us. Okay? Wink, wink, nod, nod, right? I'm going to talk about some stuff that applies to somebody else, not to us today. So nobody think I'm talking about you as we go through these Scriptures today. We all know Christians who think they have the spiritual gift of whining. You know somebody like that who thinks they have the spiritual gift of whining. Let me tell you, if you think that you have a talent for whining, I can assure you that is one talent that God does not mind you burying. So you could bury that talent. And I'm trying to ease into this, but we all know that church is made up of people who have real problems. So it shouldn't be surprising when the church has real problems because the church makes room for sinners. And so when sin is part of life, there's going to be problems. And sin is what's part of the life of humanity. And so there's going to be problems. And if Summers Avenue is not going to make room for sinners, then you all might as well follow me out the door because none of us have any business being here this morning or any time. But as long as the church welcomes sinners, the church will have problems. And the ripple effect of these problems can either increase misery or it can release ministry. 
It can go one of two directions. And so it, it, we have to make a choice about that. And so we're in Acts chapter 6 today as we've been going through Acts. And after the church was birthed and the experiences, this rapid growth, this rapid expansion, this rapid increase of membership here, and, ad, and God's adversary, the devil, tries to stop what God is doing in this new thing called church. Because that's what Satan does. He tries to stop what God is doing. So Satan has only so many schemes. He just repeats them over and over again in different ways and with different people. He, he has persecution, which we saw. What that looked like as the authorities arrested the, 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 the disciples there and they, they beat them and imprisoned them. But all that did was make them more passionate and more purposeful and more bold and it caused the church to grow faster. And so Satan introduced corruption. So we had Ananias and we had Sapphira. And, and through, through their hearts, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so Satan worked through them to try to disrupt this thing called church. But you cannot lie to God. And the church was purified. And it grew even more. Continued to grow. And so Satan went to perhaps his most effective strategy to hurt the church. He introduced division. So we're in chapter 6 today, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, in those days, what days? The days that Luke is writing about here in Acts and Jerusalem in the early days of the church. In those days, when the disciples were growing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve called the whole group of the disciples together and said, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables, but carefully select from you, brothers, seven men who are well attested, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this necessary task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the proposal pleased the entire group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. And they stood these men before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So once again, one of Satan's strategies to defeat, defeat the church Defeat this movement of God results in more growth of the church. And it's remarkable. Every time Satan tries to put a stop to it, it increases even the more. And the fact that Scripture says that the church is a mystery, and this would be a mystery, as they're undergoing this, this assault and this hostility and these roadblocks at every turn, but yet they keep growing and moving and expanding and increasing. Sure, that's a mystery. How God solved this problem of humanity is a mystery for us and our human reasoning. And there's something different, something peculiar about this. And one day, one day for them was just like one day for us. Life for them was essentially just like it is for us. See, it's not just about something or someone looking different than I do. It's about how well do I do different? How well do I accept different? And some of the most volatile arguments have been over different ways of thinking. And the world just does not do different 
well. And then God births a church. And it's always been His intention that God's people embrace diversity. You can go back and look at the Israelites and some of the regulations and restrictions and commandments and and some of the things that God set out for them was to handle this diversity and to embrace diversity. And even as He called the Israelites, leading them to a foreign land, they were to treat one another and others in such a way that the inherent value of creation, of being formed by the same Creator, would be the driving force in human interaction throughout history. And so the church should do different, differently. So that we might illustrate the message of reconciliation, of bringing people together, which is what God is trying to do. Bring us together, humanity together, back to Him. This reconciliation. And it's possible to be reconciled to God because we see people reconciled to each other. So when people look at the church and they say, look at all these different people getting along and doing things together and enjoying one another, then it must be possible for me to be joined to God. No matter what I've done in the past, now in the present, I can be a child of God. Because look at these people. And how they act and treat one another. We read earlier in Ephesians 2.14 that He is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility. And so the picture being here is of the tabernacle where there were clear walls. There were clear lines of separation, delineation that separated the Jews from the non-Jews. And segregation was in its most primitive form in the temple. And so by dwelling in the church by the Spirit, Jesus takes that wall of of hostility, that wall of division, and He replaces it with this idea of all. He takes a wall and replaces it with all. And so the New Testament writers refer to this as God's mystery. And so it says, this mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. And so the world had never seen this and could not even imagine this. Jewish people, non-Jewish people in the same room at the same table and liking it. Intentional and enjoying each other. And Eugene Peterson puts it in this contemporary language. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of Him all their lives what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. And so this is what the church is supposed to show the world because God knows that this is going to stand out prominently. This is going to look different when we act like this and treat each other like this. This isn't about making ripples. This is making waves. And so people will notice when people can do different differently. And so one of the unfortunate cultural preferences in the American church is that too often church leans intentionally or unintentionally towards alienation and not reconciliation. And so you go to a church building and everyone looks like you and everyone dresses like you and everyone votes like you and everyone wants music just like your music. And there's no mystery in that. That doesn't present the mystery. It doesn't take the Spirit of God to form a clique. The world can do that. 
The world has its cliques, its separation. Without the Spirit of God, the mystery of the church is that it does different differently. And embracing diversity is hard. It's a challenge. It is not easy. It comes with special challenges. And so the church is a mystery, but it's always messy because people in the church are messed up. Y'all notice this? <laughs> Y'all notice this about, remember, I'm talking about people who aren't here, so we can amen that. So, so someone commented one time that the reason we need a Messiah is because we are so messed up. And so you've got this mess of people who come together. It's not surprising one of the big, first big messes in the church involved differences. And so you've got here these two communities. You've got the, the Hebrew Christians who had lived in the, this holy land their entire life. And then you've got everything about their cultural practices was Jewish. Everything they knew, they breathed, they slept, they bled, they looked. Everything was Jewish about them. And Aramaic was their primary language. But many Jews had been dispersed. They had been scattered from Jerusalem and out of Palestine and out of the land there. And so they were coming back, remember, during this time for Passover and Pentecost. And so you were seeing all these different people coming together. Yes, they had kind of a, 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 a seed heritage, but they were very different. Very different. And so their primary language, these who were coming in, their primary language was Greek because they had lived among a Greek culture, not in Jerusalem, among this Hebrew culture. And for those Jews to, to retire, their heart's desire was to retire to the Holy Land, to, to live out their days there, to die and be buried there. So you had a lot of elderly Jews who lived here, who did not grow up here. And so you have a Greek-speaking widow who has real needs. And the church cared about widows and about orphans and about the ones on the fringes, the ones disenfranchised. And we've already seen how people have brought money to the apostles and laid it at their feet to be dispersed and used for the glory of God and the benefit of the church. But the apostles now are getting overwhelmed by this, by this growth of the church. And so the one who falls through the cracks is the lady who has no extended family. The widow, the one who cannot speak the local language, the Greek widow. And so she feels like the third verse in a hymnal. Y'all know this tonight. Y'all, if you grew up in the church, you know what this, what we're talking about here. We use hymnals all the time because you're looking at what, let's say we got a song that's got four verses. We're going to sing the first, second, you know it, and last verse, right? Verse number three just gets, never gets sung. That's how these ladies felt. The third verse always seems to get cut. Absolutely unintentional here. But the ripple effect was profound. And the very message of the Gospel is at stake here. Is the Gospel really for all? Or is it just for this group or these people or that person who's that way? Or is the Gospel for me? Is this good news of Jesus and good news of this church? Is, is that for me too? And so the apostles saw how big a deal this was. And this was happening because the church was growing. It was a good thing because conflict will be a byproduct of growth. Conflict comes with growth. And growth does not come without conflict. So if you want to be the New Testament church where people are being reached for Christ, you have to expect conflict. There's growing pains. And so their solution was to unleash ministry. 
Let's do something. And so their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And something to note here, these believers were not complaining. They had a legitimate concern. They were concerned about something. And just because someone has a concern does not make them a problem person. And just because someone makes a negative observation doesn't make them a negative person. We can always do a better job of thinking the best of one another. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Paul would write, So let the one who thinks he is standing be careful that he does not fall. So we've got to check our own selves too in all of this. And these people in Acts had a legitimate concern. And they cared about these women. And by the way, you will never find, I would say, a, a, a church with a stronger group of elders than the early church. The apostles were the elders. Can, can you get much stronger than that than the ones who walked shoulder to shoulder with Jesus? And nobody thought the existence of conflict meant that the leaders were incapable of leading. There's no call for repentance in this scene. They didn't need new leaders. What they needed was a better plan. They needed to evaluate and to adjust, which is what leaders are called to do. We've been talking about that in our Sunday morning Bible class in the fellowship room. You cannot be more peculiar, more different than that in our present day society. And you cannot be a good witness with a bad attitude. And so the way the church handled this distribution, it was just fine at the start. It started out good. Everything was going well. People had what they needed, but then the church grew. Tressa and I were first married. We had to make some adjustments. I'm still making adjustments. But, so we, we were single for a long time. And we, you know, we had did things our, kind of set in our ways for the most part. And so you, know, you come together now as a husband and wife and you've got to make some adjustments. And so we're, we're rolling on, you know, kind of going along with life. And then Jackson comes along. And guess what? Now there's three of us. So what do we have to do? We've got to make some new adjustments. And then Callie comes along. More adjustments. And then Cooper comes along. More adjustments. And so now, more people have to make adjustments. It's not just me and Tressa, but now, when Callie's born, Jackson has to make adjustments. When Cooper's born, Callie and Jackson have to make adjustments. So every time the family grows, adjustments have to be made. And we had to make sure in all of that that we did not preserve what was good in the past at the expense of what was best for the present. And so each addition changes the dynamics and the needs of the group, which is why you have to remain flexible and ask the best of one another. So we all have memories of, of something in the past that really connected us. And we used to sing uh, Above the Bright Blue. It was like one of the... the we could. Probably two or three times a month I would hear that song uh, in, a, in a song service. Led it many times. And so that song takes me back to Enola, Arkansas. And it takes me back to, to, to Granddad Bailey, who was a stepfather of L.J. Shock and, and of uh, Lois Jean Hoggard. And so it takes me back to the time when I was probably three, four years old in Enola on a Sunday afternoon in, the, in their little church building. And Granddad Bailey picked me up and stood me on top of the communion table so I could lead that song. So when I hear that song, it, it, goes, it takes me back to all these church experiences. And that means nothing to my children. 
other than it means something to me, which means something to them. See, our circumstances are different in that I never had leadership training for Christ as, as my kids have today. I never had summertime on Wednesday nights like we have uh, for our summer's kids during the summer, June, July, and August, or Wednesday night Bible class for them is called summertime. I didn't have anything like that when I was growing up. They're singing songs now whose authors are younger than me. And they love those songs. And I'm glad for that. Our circumstances may be different. But our experience is the same. And so church family who care about them, they, they, they experience that. And they, they come to know that. And people, church family who impart faith to them and impart relationship to them and show them participation and involvement in what it looks like to be part of a congregation. They get to experience that also. My kids get to watch that. And I have to make sure that the way I experienced congregational life when I was their age and growing up, which was good, it was good for me. It was good in the past. I've got to make sure that that's not calcified as the only way to experience congregational life in the present. And so the apostles said that, hey, the circumstances have changed. And we must meet the needs of this diverse, growing body. And so they said, we want to retain the experience. We want people to realize that the church cares because we're the body of Christ who cares. Christ cares for you. So we care for you. We want them to to, to retain that experience. But we've got to adapt to changing circumstances. And so they asked for the best people to help. And so we have in chapter 6 and verse 5, The proposal pleased the entire group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. Why is that important? Why did he list them by name? We've already talked about how sometimes Luke would just wouldn't even wouldn't call specific names, but sometimes he would. There's a purpose. Every one of those names is a Greek name. It's a Grecian name. The, the Hebraic Jewish power structure of these apostles empowered the minority Hellenistic Jews to be in charge of this ministry. So the only stipulation given by the apostles was you need to make sure they are full of the Holy Spirit. And without the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, ministry will flounder. And so you don't want me preaching without the help of the Holy Spirit. But if you usher... If you teach a Bible class or if you change diapers in a nursery, if you take teenagers on a mission trip or you lead songs or prayer or you host a a fellowship in your house or you greet people when they walk in the door or you grade Bible lessons or anything in the name of the church, anything in the name of the body of Christ, you should be leaning on the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so they said, make sure that they are well attested, which means they have a good reputation. You want people with a good reputation in charge of this, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this necessary task. And so the ministry is more than just handling a task. Ministry is a lifestyle. It's modeling a lifestyle. Make sure they are well attested. Good reputation. So Spirit-filled people are servant-oriented people. And servant-oriented Christians want what's best for one another. 
And so the apostles weren't saying, hey, y'all, y'all take care of the busy work and we're going to do some important stuff over here. That's not what they're saying at all. Because in fact, the same word is used here. The word underneath, that word is deacon. Yeah, it's deacon, serve, servant. They said, hey, we're going to deacon the word. Y'all go deacon the food and we're going to deacon together for the glory of God. And so spiritual ministry is about service to others. And so we use a program to accomplish that, but our focus must always be on what's best for others. And so a healthy church has a culture of service where members seem to realize that, hey, I'm here for someone else. I'm here to help someone else. An unhealthy church will have a culture of serve us. A healthy church has a, has a culture of service. There's a difference. And we have to make sure that we can tell the difference. You can tell the difference by what people complain about. And so here in Jerusalem, the complaint was, hey, we can do better. We can do better than what we're doing to help other people. And a few years down the road in Corinth, you're going to come across a letter from Paul where he's addressing some of the same points of division, but their complaint's going to be, hey, you can do a better job of serving me. And so there's a difference there. Vince Lombardi was a legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. And so the NFL championship trophy has his name attached to it. So the Lombardi trophy. And one day in an interview, he was asked, hey coach, you know, we understand all coaches know X's and O's. All coaches can draw up plays and know the ins and outs of football. they got an atmosphere of discipline. But what is it that makes a championship team? And you've got crusty, tough Lombardi. And he said the missing ingredient in championship teams is love. He said it's love, genuine love for one another. You've got to care about your teammates more than you care about yourself. You've got to think, hey, I've got to make my block so that that guy doesn't kill my guy. That has to be your driving force. A champion team is where everyone's playing for someone else. And so the Word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. And so Satan tried division to destruct the progress of the church here at its inception. So say I'm a priest and I serve at the temple. I serve a religion that teaches a different way. And that's where I get my paycheck. But now I'm leaving that to go join this church thing, this way, as they're calling themselves. Now, what does a priest do? What's, what's the job of a priest? A priest helps people get closer to God. And so a priest saw the church, saw this group of people and thought they're doing a better job than what we do. And he left to go join them, to be a part of that. He was drawn in. He changed teams. And so the ripple effect ended up being more ministry and more growth. The ripple effect of more growth was more ministry. So it's hand in hand. And God blessed the church with more messy people. You just wait. <laughs> wait till the church in Corinth gets in full swing. You find out about messy people. But God now had more priests that He could count on. So we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you, us, in Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own. That is a peculiar people. So that you may proclaim the virtues of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
So when you came to Christ and you confessed His name and you were baptized, did you know you got a new job? You became a priest. You became a priest. And now your new calling is to help people get closer to God. That's what we're called to do. So I want to encourage you to unleash the priest in you. Be your mantra this week. When you go to work tomorrow, unleash the priest. When you go to school tomorrow, unleash the priest. Help someone get closer to God. When you come together as church, don't think serve us. Think service. Think who am I going to hug today? Who am I going to pray with this week? Who, what friend, what new friend am I going to make? Who am I going to invite to serve with me? Because I'm here to help people get closer to God. That's who we are. That's who the church was, is, and will be until we are all as close to God as we can be around His throne for eternity. That's our purpose. We can lose sight of that. We can lose sight of it when, when sin gets in the way. And we see what Satan does to disrupt the flow and the function, the purpose of the church. And it's not about a church, the organization. It's about a church, the organism. That's us. This flesh and blood. This mind that can make his own decisions. Decide whether or not I'm going to follow Jesus. Whether or not I'm going to follow His Word and His leading. That's where Satan gets. And that's where i got to be on guard. Because he prowls around. Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Maybe today he's been gnawing on you. And that sin that's gotten a hold of you that you're having trouble getting rid of, shaking away. You can't do it on your own. But by the power of God's Spirit, you can. So this morning, God calls you to repent of sin. To turn back to Jesus. To pray for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. To mend relationships that need to be mended. It's got to start with your relationship with God. This morning, as we come together as church, in all of our differences, in all of our variety, we come together because of one purpose and for one purpose. To glorify God. To lift each other up. To encourage one another. Well, Sean, that's more than one purpose. No, it's not. Because it all glorifies God when we live together as the body of His Son. So this morning, as we stand and sing a song, if we can pray for you, we want to do that. And if you are ready to become a member of the body of Christ, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that this morning. The water is ready, waiting for your decision. Will you come as we stand together and as we sing?